I always like it when we've had two months of listening to a series going on and then the topics are just so varied in the month when we don't have a series because I sort of plan the series well in advance and then I think, oh yeah, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen and it doesn't always, of course. But in this month where I've planned nothing and just let the speakers get on with it, it's like, oh, fancy talking about that. That was exciting. Or, oh, I've never seen it from that perspective before. Or, oh, that was great. Because, you know, when we're listening to people talk at the front, what we've got to do is put our mind in gear and not have it in neutral so we can just receive things from what the Lord has prompted the person to speak about today. Oh, yes, this is what I'm talking about. Milk and honey. Because if you've been reading sort of the uh, onward, that wasn't part of the notices this morning, you'd have seen that today's topic is milk and honey. And it's nothing to do with Fanny Craddock or Mary Berry or any of these, Jamie Oliver or anyone like that. We're not here today to be talking about cooking. We're here today to think about God and the Israelites. Because the Israelites had heard a lot about milk and honey. Here's a few of the sort of descriptions that we can read from. I'm just going to read the ones in the dark colour, and all the other ones, they're on our website or will be tomorrow, uh, but you can look at those yourself. So I'm going to start off by reading Exodus 2, 23 and so on, then I'll read the two Deuteronomies as well. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flown with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then Deuteronomy 8. 6 to 9. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and uh, revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams and deep springs 
uh, gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And then a couple of, uh, three chapters later, 11, 8 to 12. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by uh, foot, as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. That sounds like a great place to go. And if you read the Ezekiel one, Ezekiel 20, it says that Israel is going to be the most beautiful of all lands, a jewel of a country, a most glorious land, the most splendid of all lands. So God has found a special place for the Israelites. It flows with milk and honey, so it's in abundance, isn't it? The livestock, it's going to be great. They'll do fine there. And the agriculture, they're going to have to work to do it because I know there's weeds like there's weeds now. But there's going to be abundance. There's going to be enemies. We named all those, didn't they? That, that was there. So they're going to want to go there. But, of course, the people living there don't want them to have it without a fight. So it's not going to be easy. But God has prepared a place for them. And that's really good. Because the place they are at at the moment wasn't good. It's a contrast to where they found themselves at that time. So what a contrast to where they found themselves at that time. Because at that time, they weren't just sitting around doing nothing, were they, the Israelites? They were in slavery. They were in despair. There was rationing. They were having to build, make bricks and then build things with the bricks. Life wasn't so great. But they knew that God had said, yes, there's going to be something going on because they, God had heard their groaning, their suffering. So they knew, because Moses had told them, that they were going to go somewhere else where there was freedom, hope and joy, where there was plenty. God didn't want his chosen people living in slavery. But it dawned on me this week, I was reading it a lot, all these things, and I had an idea what I was going to speak on. And then all of a sudden, it took a different track. Because what I thought was this. Egypt was the promised land once. They went there because it was the promised land. They were in Canaan. Remember the story of Joseph and his brothers and Jacob? Joseph was sent to Egypt. God ordained, God sorted it out. But they went there because there was going to be famine in Canaan. And so they all travelled to Egypt because they knew, because God had told Joseph in a dream, that there was going to be famine. So he'd got plenty of things in the store. So Egypt then was the promised land because going to Egypt did bring them freedom. It did bring them hope and joy because there was plenty of food for themselves and for their livestock. 
That shocked me this week. When I was thinking about that, I was thinking, oh, Egypt, terrible place to go to. Then all of a sudden, I thought, but it wasn't. That was the best place to go to then. But it wasn't the best place for them to stay in now. Because there had been a change of circumstances. Things had changed. Was the freedom for the Israelites in Egypt now? Not at all. Was there hope and joy? Was there plenty? No, there was none of those things. God hadn't changed, but their circumstances had changed. The routines they had, they didn't like because they were in slavery, but God, can you do something for us? I like to put things down simply sometimes, so I put it down like this. Even though Egypt was the promised land, Egypt doesn't equal promised land. But then I was thinking about it, and I thought, that's still not sort of obvious. So I made it a bit plainer. A doesn't equal B. Because you can't get much simpler than that, can you? So I was thinking, right, okay, God, you speak to me simply. I'm really glad, because it makes it easier for me to understand. But of course then, if A doesn't equal B, and I've written this down, so I better read this. The Israelites were in Egypt, but wanted to get to the promised land. They were at A, but wanted to get to B, as A didn't equal B. They needed to leave A before they could get to B. They couldn't stay in A and also be in B. Don't forget, this is written down. You can read it, and it might be easier to read it, mightn't it? They had to go from A to B. If they were going to have plenty and have life and joy and a good existence, they couldn't stay in A any longer. They had to go from A to B because A didn't equal B. It was time to move on. They'd been there decades and decades. Generations of the Israelites had been in Egypt. But it was time to move on because they were stuck in slavery. Now, they had a promise of a good time ahead, didn't they, with God? God had said to Moses, we read it, yeah, I'm going to be with you. You're going to go from A to B. There's going to be these enemies that are going to be there, but you're not going to be on your own. So you'd expect, if you didn't know the story, and probably all of you do know the story, you'd expect that if A was over here and B was over here, it would just be a, a walk in the park, wouldn't it? It would just be like, God's with us, everything's sorted out, we know we've got to go from over there to over there, plain sailing. But that's not happened, is it? I should have done more squiggles. That's what happened, really, weren't it? If we read in Deuteronomy chapter 1, it says the journey should have taken about 11 days. You probably know it took 40 years. And I used my calculator to find it out, but in days, 40 years, is 14,610 days. And it should have been 11. So their journey wasn't a good one generally, was it? Their journey showed unbelief. It showed wickedness. It showed rebellion against God. That's why they're going all over the place. They didn't trust God. 
They didn't believe him. Do you remember the 12 spies that went into, uh, went into uh, Israel? It's found in Numbers 13. Every one of them said, yes, it's a land flown with milk and honey. But 10 of them said, can't conquer that. Too difficult. Let's stay where we are. Let's go back to Egypt even. It's too hard. It was only two people that believed God when he said, yeah, come with me. It's going to be fine. It might be tricky. It might be scary. But I'm with you. It would be easy if we were just thinking about the Israelites today, wouldn't it? Because the Israelites, years ago, we could just think about them and say, if they did it like that, surely it's all right with us to do it like that. But today, I don't want to just think about the Israelites and their journey. I want to think about three journeys. The Israelites, that's journey number one. Their journey. How about this? And again, this only dawned on me this week. It's God sort of helping me to understand things. A few weeks ago, we were looking at don't forget to pack. Okay, I'm going to test you. I wondered if I should, but I've decided I will. Can any of you remember the eight things that we packed in our metaphorical suitcases? Prayer. Worship Worship everywhere. Read the Bible. Okay, so... These are the gold star pupils. Thank you, gold star pupils. You don't need to say any more. We've had three. Can anyone remember any more? There's five more. Generosity. Generosity. Oh, that's brilliant. That's great. So that's, we're halfway there. Okay, I'll be honest. I had to look it up as well. <laughs> Putting God first. That was the number one. Repenting and forgiving others. That was Jean who spoke about that. Uh, going to church, praying, reading the Bible, being generous. There was a Greek word there, weren't there? Speaking about Jesus, worshipping everywhere, and keeping going. And of course, the thing is, we packed our suitcases. Now it's time for a journey. We're saying, let's pack our suitcases, these kind of things. Has anyone packed a suitcase and stayed at home? What a ridiculous thing to think about, wasn't it? Sometimes it might be because there was an emergency and you couldn't go somewhere. But nearly always, if you pack your suitcase, it means you're ready. You're going somewhere. You've got action in your tiptoes, haven't you? You're ready to go for it. Maybe if we've packed our suitcase with those eight things, we're going to go on a journey together. I want us to think about our journey, our journey collectively as a group of people at NCF. Now, of course, uh, the Israelites had two great leaders and some others as well, didn't they? Moses and Aaron. And, of course, we've got leaders in NCF as well, haven't we? We've got Nick and we've got Paul. (laughs) Goodness, who's that? Oh, that's what I meant to go on. We've got this chap here, the Free Amigos. So what we've got are people that love God and want to lead us onwards with God's things. That sounds like a great thing. But of course, Israelites had two great leaders as well. They made mistakes. And of course, it would be great if we as a church 
not, I'm not going to read out the A to B thing again, but we know we're in A and we're going to B. We're going to make that journey together. It would be great if it was just a straightforward journey and we were moving on. I know I've been to NCF for nearly 10 years now, and many of you have been there longer, some a bit shorter, but I've seen God in action here. Answered prayer. Collectively, things have changed and things have happened because we've come together and we've prayed. But maybe if we're saying it's time to move on as a church, maybe in the near future we'll be meeting things that we haven't done before. We'll be doing things we haven't thought about before as God leads us and guides us. So you might have two questions. You might say, okay then, John, here's my two questions. Where are we going and how do we get there? Trouble is, well, I'm not a trouble at all. I've got no answers. I'm smiling, though, because the good thing is, as God helps us and encourages and leads us day by day, because his mercies are new every day, so we know where we are now is not where we will be in five years' time. Just like five years ago, we were different. So five years' time, think about how we are now. We are going to be different. Different in people. We're praying for more people to come. I look at your faces regularly and I think, what great people. We're going to see more great people. Some people with needs, but they're still great people. Some people with things to give and have been Christians years and have moved into the town and they'll join us. Great people. But God's bringing in new people and people will move out sometimes as well. We know that. The physical fabric of the building is going to change a little bit. So the foyer has changed a lot over the last few months. That's great. There's more plans and things that will change. Maybe this room will change. The outside, other areas of the building will change because it's great for now. But we need to change. It's going to grow. Things are going to develop. Our priorities, the way we think, could change. In five years' time, if we're just doing the things that we're doing now, just because we've always done them, that's not going to be a healthy thing. If God is saying, yep, keep the same, then that's great. But if we stay the same just because that's easy, then that's not a good thing. God is going to take us on a journey from A to B. And hopefully, it can be like that. But we know what we're like. It could be a bit like that. But as we're together, and as uh, we sort of reach out to the thousands of people around, so we know that God will help us. You know, uh, that years ago, the Vickers Tea Party was started and the Luncheon Club was started, it was mentioned earlier, because they, there was a need that was seen and so things started to make it happen and, and to, to meet the need that was there. As we see the young families and the sort of adults that are living on their own maybe, so we can reach out to them and already people are giving me ideas about what we can do and that's brilliant. So if you've got more ideas, we can... Listen to them and and sift through them and think, oh yeah, is that what God's saying? But we know where we are now, A, is not going to be where we are in B, in five years' time. Things will have changed. God wouldn't have changed, but the way 
our lives have changed and the way people coming in is just going to change things because they'll have needs and then we'll reach out to other people that have needs and it's going to be great. But just like the Israelites, it can be tricky. It's not going to be a walk in the park. It's not just going to be plain sailing. So we've thought about two journeys so far. Our journey, their journey, Here's the most difficult one, perhaps. Your journey. You're at A at the moment. Maybe God is saying, have you thought about B? How are you going to get there? I love measuring things. Perhaps you do too. Every month, I measure my weight. I think about finances. I love numbers, so I just think about finances. I measure all kinds of things when I'm I'm, uh, sort of uh, doing normal life, as it were. And sometimes I think, well, there's me measuring rod. Can I measure progress? Can you measure progress? And I reckon I think we can. Here's some easy ways of measuring. There's a house. We can move house, can't we? And that can be progress. It can be measured. It can be like, oh yeah, I've either gone up, gone down, I've changed, and that's the way it is. Because we've moved, it's something we can measure. Maybe we can have a birthday. Thank you, Alan, that was a great photo. So we can have a birthday, can't we? And we've got sort of a big sort of uh, candle. We're singing, trying to blow it out last week. Just about to. That was well captured. And so our birthdays, we can measure. We can think, okay, I'm 22 now, or I'm 28, or, okay, I'm 50. And we might sort of think, okay, I've got 30 or 40 years of life left because God's going to do something in my life. Or I might not have that many years. But I know that as the birthdays continue, so we can measure it. You might think, I've got a new car. And you sort of think, yeah. That's progress. That's different. That's new. It's better than my old car, or it's different from my old car. It's progress. Can we measure the spiritual dimension in our lives? Can we put a measuring rod against the way I live, about the way we live our lives for God? I've got some. It says spiritual maturity indicators at the bottom. And I've got some that all of you will say, oh, John, well done. They're really good indicators. Bound to. Here's the first one. If I turn up to church by 10.40 a.m. every week, I'm doing really well. I'd be late for the music practice, but this is just generally. Okay, so I might turn up about half past eight or 20 past eight or something like that. But generally speaking, you might think, oh, yeah, 10.40, I'm here. I can go and have a coffee, and well done me. I've got a gold star from God for doing that. It might be you go to a house group or a prayer meeting regularly. Now, of course, there's several prayer meetings that happen in the building during the week. Some are every four, well, I think they're all every well, no, some are every week on a Sunday morning, and two of them are once a fortnight. One's on a Thursday afternoon, one's on a Wednesday, one's on a Wednesday evening. Wow, what a great thing if you turned up at the house group this week 
or a prayer meeting this, uh, next week, wouldn't that be great? You'd encourage the people that are there and you'd be able to share something that you know as an encouragement. So it's a win-win thing. Maybe you haven't been for ages. That's all right. Come again. So if you've not been to a prayer meeting for ages, I don't because I have to work on a Wednesday night. So till I past eight, so usually I can't do it. But maybe you can't do that for a reason like I've got. Or maybe you're just thinking, okay, I can't make it every week. I'll try and go once in a while. What a great thing to be part of that. Maybe if you do that regularly, you think you've got a gold star. Another tick in your checklist from God. What about if you regularly give financially to the church? Again, a great thing. If you think that's a gold star, wonderful. I regularly show all the fruit of the Spirit. There's plenty of those. We know life can be difficult sometimes, can't it? In our families, at work, in the way we live our lives. If we're showing the fruit of the Spirit to other people, surely that's a tick. Maybe this next one's the hardest of them all. Aim to love your friends and family and not just your enemies. Because didn't Jesus say, love your enemies as yourself? But isn't it much harder to live our, love our family and friends? If you see your enemy, you can see them every, once in a while. Okay, I'm going to live so-and-so today. Hi, are you okay? Yeah. But your family, your friends that you see regularly, when God says, love your enemies, that's a hard thing. I think loving your family and your friends can be harder. They might rub you up the wrong way now and again. They might say something or do something in the house. You think, oh, do you know what I mean? Loving the people that you're around with could be a gold star from God. It could be a spiritual indicator of maturity. But it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Loving people that aren't like us. In fact, loving people that are very different from us can be awkward and hard. But this is the best spiritual indicator Spurgeon said, if Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part saviour of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. That's spiritual maturity. When Christ is all to us and we say, Lord, what shall I do today? How can I encourage other people? How can I bless others? How can I give of myself and not just take from others? If you're A and God is saying go to B, giving 100% to God is the way to go, isn't it? Is the way to know that it's going to be fine. Life might be complicated sometimes. And sometimes we'll get things wrong, won't we? But in our lives, in our own journey, is it time to move on? We don't have to let the things that we've done in the past stop us from moving on with God. You might think, oh, I did something once and God couldn't have liked that. I'll just keep quiet. I'll do nothing now. I'll just say, thank you, God, for my past blessings. Thank you, God, for loving me, for taking care of me. Thank you for saving me. 
but I'm no good. I'll just say thank you, Lord, for all the stuff you've done in the past. That's not right, is it? We've got new things to think about, new battles, new ideas, new, uh, new things to really get involved with in our journey, our own journey. We can't stay at A and have some of B. If God is saying to us, forget about A, time to move on, then that's what we need to do. Putting him first, giving him 100%. So we thought about three journeys. And for the Israelites, their journey, it's great. Like we've said before, we can learn from the good things they did, the bad things they do, but we can't change what's happened. It's thousands of years ago. But for our journey and your journey, we all have an influence. You can have a big influence on what goes on in the church together. You can bring ideas, you can pray, you can attend things, you can be yourself. And definitely with uh, your journey, you can decide, I'm going to go on with God. I'm not going to stay where I am. I'm not going to wait five years for this journey. I want to change today and not let things that have been in the past hold me back. Or even the fear of the future. I don't want that to hold me back either. God doesn't want us to remain in Egypt, in slavery. And the influence that we have in our lives is good for others. Even if sometimes we think our ideas are very different from other people's. That's a piece of a satsuma in a garlic bulb. And that doesn't work, does it, really? It's very different. And yet, that's sometimes how we are. We can go to an organisation or a collection of people like the church and our ideas are just way what other people are saying. So different. And yet, what you say might just be the catalyst, the spark to get things moving and to see change happen. So my encouragement to all of you is don't be afraid of speaking out, of saying things. That's a great thing. And especially in your life and in the church's life, don't be afraid of being different, of change. It's time to move on, perhaps, collectively and individually. Progress can be difficult, though, can't it, sometimes? I remember when I was younger... There was me, my mum and dad, my brother and sister in a Red Avenger. And it was a great car, but we always used to argue who sat in the middle, in the back. I was blessed. In the end, I became the tallest. So that was my ticket to not sitting in the middle. Because if I was in the middle, especially if I stretched a little bit, my dad couldn't see out the mirror very well. So that was my ticket that I sort of said, and it was great. But imagine going on a plane, most of us have done it, for a long journey, and you're having to sleep overnight. I can't sleep on the plane overnight. Oh, it's really difficult. Oh. But where I'm going is worth it. The journey itself might be cramped. It might take a while. But when I get to Japan, or when I get to wherever I'm going to go, wow, I've forgotten about the journey. 
I'm on holiday. I'm going somewhere. I'm enjoying Jill's company and other people's company. It's great. And then the last day, I start to think about the journey again. I think, oh, I'm cramped like a sardine. Oh, the food's all right, but oh, I'm all cramped. Oh, no, the person in front of me has got their chair back. Oh, this is great. Oh, it's not really. But I'll be, try and be positive about it. You having a good time? Yeah, oh, me too. <laughs> the journey can be tricky, can't it? But going from A to B is what God is calling us to do. The journey is going to be part of it. But what's at B? We've packed. But where is your destination? We can't stick where we are. We can't just say, yeah, I'll just read the Bible once a week. I'll pray when it's an emergency. I'll come on a Sunday morning most weeks, but if there's something else to do that's more important, I'll go somewhere else. God's calling us to to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to give 100% to you. Irrespective of how hard the journey will be. If you remember in Joshua chapter 1, the Israelites were just about to cross over the River Jordan. And God had some good advice for Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. And that's what he's saying to all of us today. We might see what's going on over the next few days or weeks or months. And we know the journey can be choppy and hard. God says, I am with you. Be strong and very courageous. In Isaiah 43, 2 and 3, it says this. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty... You will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. It doesn't say if. If these things happen, I'm with you. When these tricky things, these hard things happen, and they happen to all of us, at different times in their life, different magn- um, sort of amounts, sort of amounts. But they happen to all of us. But when we go through these deep waters of not knowing what our future holds, what's the next chapter in our life? Where are we going to move house to? Where are we going to do this? What are we going to do that? God says, I am with you. And as I read earlier from Deuteronomy, and underneath, underneath, are the everlasting arms. The journey may not be easy for any of us, but God is with us. We've got nothing to fear, going from A to B. And all the Bs that we're going to individually are different, but we've nothing to fear. God is with us. So let's pray, and then we're going to respond and say, yes, thank you, Lord. That even though the journey might be difficult, it was for the Israelites, Lord, collectively and individually, we know that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that just as you were with the Israelites and you saw all their rebellion and getting it wrongness, Lord, you see us and you see us getting it right a lot of the times and then getting it wrong as well. Lord, we need your everlasting arms. 
We need your guidance, your love. We want to follow you with 100% of ourselves, Lord. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us, Lord, to strive to know you more, to decide, Lord, that where we are is great, but where we're going to is going to be even better, despite the journey we might have. Thank you, Lord, for your, your passion for us and your promise of love for us too, Lord. We really need that. Amen.